Welcome to the Soft Life with Sadie Baddies. Sadie Baddies is the antidote to mental health stigma, and this podcast is hosted by yours truly, Priscilla O. Adjman. We are a virtual sanctuary centering Black and multiracial people, and we prioritize the mental and emotional nourishment that is the foundation of collective healing in our communities. Thank you for being here. Hello and welcome. Welcome to the Soft Life Podcast. Today I have an amazing, an amazing human being. This is Valencia de la Clebel, and she is an educator. She is a community leader and builder, and she is with us today here at the Soft Life. Welcome, Valencia. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. So how are you feeling right now in this present moment? Can you, I see that you're in your your office um, at home, which looks beautiful, the plants and books in the background, but tell us your vibe right now. How are you feeling? Thank you. I'm chilling. I want to say to your listeners that offline, you are everything because I know we were supposed <laughs> to do this like a week ago and I just wasn't ready. And so today I'm, I'm in a good, I'm in a better space where I actually had time to think about what I wanted to say. And so just letting your folks know, like, you really are everything. Like, you're very compassionate, very understanding. And so it just made it really easy to enter this space. So thank you. Of course. Thank you so much. I My number one priority anytime we have a guest or anyone on the show is that they're comfortable and that they feel prepared and that they feel ready to have, you know, the conversation because you're sharing your energy and your time and your experience with us. And we want you to have the best time here, you know? So I appreciate that. Um, Glad that you're feeling better today. Um, So to start, we always like to ask everybody who comes in to describe your origin story in, you know, kind of a condensed version. What is your origin story in your own words? If you had like a paragraph to describe who you are, where you come from, whether it's the city that you grew up in, um, your heritage, whatever it is, tell us what your origin story is, the, the version that you feel most comfortable with. Well, I'm from New York originally. I was born in Harlem. So Harlem. I'm an uptown girl for sure. Yes. Um, yeah, I love it. And It's just interesting because I ended up going to school and being raised in Westchester in this little town called Greenberg. Um, And there's a whole history to that part of Westchester. Um, It doesn't even have its own post office. So we typically have to say White Plains for folks to know where we are on the map. But um, that part of my life living there kind of shaped who I am today, Um, in addition to being from uptown because... I always had the best of both worlds. Like we were, my sister and I, we were always in Greenberg for school, but we were always in Harlem on the weekends. Um, And then when we got to be like, you know, teenagers, we could kind of choose where we wanted to go. And I never really wanted to be in Greenberg, but my grandmother wanted to shelter me from being in the city. And I hated it so much until I decided to just make it something Um, And I ended up like doing a lot of activities and having fun. Um, And my favorite activity that I'm still doing today is teaching. So I started teaching in the community center in that neighborhood. Um, First, I was a camp counselor. I was an after-school program teacher. I worked with kindergartners, third graders. uh, And that really gave me the background for becoming the educator that I am today. So my first year teaching when I got out of college was not really my first year teaching because I had so much experience from the age of 14 being Mm. from that area. And um, just a little bit more, we didn't, my my grandmother, she actually wanted us to stay up in Westchester because of what was happening with the crack era, my mom, it was a lot going on down there. And so she just, she just felt like it wasn't safe. And so, um, but that's why I always let people know where I'm from, because I know that I'm not the only one that experienced so much of that trauma. And I never want people to feel alone or that, you know, I'm this girl from Westchester and this is who I became like, no, there was a lot more than just Greenberg, but I appreciate Greenberg, you know? So, yeah. Yes. Harlem in the building. I don't know if you know, I live in Harlem. Um, Yes. I heard that on the podcast. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I love Harlem. My fiance is born and raised from Harlem. So yeah, Harlem all day, every day. And I, I appreciate you sharing your, your roots and they're so important and share so much about your story and who you are today. 
Um, so you kind of touched a little bit on what your journey was like in education. You mentioned you were a camp counselor and that kind of slowly opened you up into the world of education, but and of your um, primary educational experiences. But can you kind of talk us Talk us through your journey into education, what that was like, what sparked that interest in you and um, led you to become one of, I would say, one of the most well-known educators in our current, you know, era. I know I found you on online. You were probably one of the first people I saw going viral on videos on, on Instagram and YouTube about how you talk about education and, and how you really use your your mission in life to change what education is, especially public education. So can you kind of tell us more about your journey into education and who you are today? Yeah, so I started out teaching middle school. I went to Morgan State University first to become an elementary educator. And that was fun. I really loved going to school for being a teacher. I had so much fun learning. Um, And it's very rare. I think it's rare to find people who actually go to school to become teachers. A lot of, especially in our community, a lot of people become teachers by like second, third choice because they didn't get the job in the field that they expected to get once they graduated. So I was actually classically trained to be a teacher from Morgan. And um, I I went into a very, I would say, um, a hood school. My first school was real hood. It was a transformation school which means, and it was a charter, which means that it took over a school that was already um, considered a failing school. So they tried to turn around that building by breaking it into many different buildings. Um, And I was the only teacher, again, who was trained to be a teacher. All the other teachers were Teach for America teachers, first year at that. And so they didn't even have experience outside of the six weeks summer experience that they had. So it was really tough. Um. And I didn't know much about humility at the time. So I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder and feeling like, why are they even here? Like, they're not helping me help the kids. Yeah. Um, and that was like, that was my vibe for a long time until I really started to understand, like, they're here because that's how the system created them and us to be. Like, it's, and it, it's not even a, a, a one of those things where I feel like the system did it on purpose, as a lot of people like to say. It really feels like it was more of a Band-Aid to try to close the gap um, between, and I hate that term, closing the gap, but to close, I was, I'll, I'll change that to say, to really just help to, to close the teacher um, deficit. There were no teachers. Like it was really hard to find teachers. I actually wanted to teach in New York when I graduated from college, but there was a, teachering, a teacher hiring freeze in the city. So everyone was like, just stay in Baltimore because you're not going to get a job here. So that speaks volumes to, I couldn't even go back home. Right. Yeah. And um, but I loved being in Baltimore. I loved all my kids, many of which today that first year teaching, a lot of them are um, you know, unfortunately murdered or um in jail or just you know, there's a few of them that are doing amazing, but I, I run into them all the time and they tell me stories that make me a bit sad. And so just to answer where how I got where I am today is because after twelve years of teaching and years of coaching teachers, I started to finally realize, like, I love what I'm doing, but it's not enough. And someone has to lead the shift for where we're going next and what's needed next. And so, um, you know, you saw me going viral for teaching self-awareness, because a lot of my students just had a lot of self-hatred for being people Mm. of color or being in poverty or close to the poverty line or feeling like they couldn't read. Um, there were so many things that kept them feeling like they weren't enough. So my goal at that time was self-awareness. When we think about emotional intelligence, which I was always an English teacher, by the way, I was not a social emotional teacher, but I had a background <laughs> in it from professional development and anything I ever learned, I felt like my students should learn it too. So I would learn it at a professional mm-hmm. development and take it straight to the classroom. Didn't matter what it was. And so mm-hmm. now I'm in a space where I'm all about self-management because it's not enough to be aware. You could know that you have ADHD. You can know that you have anxiety, which a lot of our kids don't even know what ADHD means and they have a diagnosis or they hear anxiety and they don't know what what that really looks like when they're having an anxiety attack. People telling them like, oh, she has an attitude problem or she, you know, you feel like you can't make friends. All of these are um, factors of issues that they don't really understand. And so, of course, I want to keep getting into self 
acceptance, but self-management is my thing right now because that, if you think self-acceptance is lacking, self-management is way further. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm leading right now because I don't want to see more of my students in spaces where they're choosing paths that lead them to be murdered or lead them to be locked up. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not all of my kids. It's definitely not all of them. So I hate to get on here and have like a sad crying story. But I'm just answering the question of my purpose and where I am. And so uh, kudos to all of my babies that have full scholarships that are, you know, business owners right now that are super successful. I see y'all and I'm proud of y'all and y'all know that. But the ones that I feel like I failed, that's who I'm doing my work for right now. So Yes. Oh, that gave me chills. That gave me chills. I, I really admire how you infuse what you were learning from professional development straight to your students. And that is kind of breaking the the barrier between, you know, what we have to wait for and get to the certain point to access as far as education, this knowledge, and you completely broke that wall down. And I'm assuming this is also part of your part of your teaching philosophy is this, you know, I don't really like the phrase trickle down, but the for lack of a better word, this trickle down effect of I'm getting this knowledge and I'm going to share it and I'm going to make sure that I disseminate it in a way that my students understand and in a way that they can take this with them and carry it with them throughout. So how how would you define your teaching philosophy and how have you been able to incorporate that into the classroom um, with some of the themes that you mentioned of self-management um, and emotional intelligence? Um, I think I'm really aligned with constructivism. So for anyone who's not an educator, um, I'll just try to break it down. There are many famous philosophies. Constructivism is one of them. And constructivism just, it sounds, it means what it sounds like. You're helping students to construct their own learning. So it's very hands-on, very kinesthetic. Um, You're never just lecturing. It's very, you really shouldn't be lecturing at all unless you're clearing up misconceptions from the lesson that they were learning mm. on their own. You put them out there. You you give them articles. You know that they typically might um, not want to read or as they might call struggle, a challenge with reading. You make them grapple with that. And I, this is all stuff that I learned along my journey because even though I was always in hood schools, those schools happened to give us really like, uh, they were very, very, um, I, I, I would say ahead of their time with the professional development that they provided us. They, the, the leaders of those schools were really just on it. Like they wanted to the best for the kids, but the environment, and again, that self-management piece, not having that, it doesn't matter how well you train teachers or how well the teachers want the kids to do. If we're not giving the kids exactly what they need, they're not going to have enough. So for, constructivism is aligned to self-management. However, at the time of teaching it, I wasn't really aware of that yet. So um, I used to just really make sure that my kids came in that classroom and knew that it was theirs. So more, when you hear about constructivism, you hear teachers that say that they're facilitators of learners, that they're moderators of learners, of learners, of of learning, I should say. They are making sure that the kids are doing all of that work, the heavy lifting, um, and they're just there to make sure that it goes well. And I'm doing the same thing on the college level. And I actually find that my college students, they're actually, they take it a little bit harder than my middle schoolers. And I think that's due to like a fixed mindset because- you know, if you think about my middle schoolers, they're 12, they're 13, they're 14. So they're a little bit more malleable. And I have them for a longer period of time during the year. But when I get my um, college students, they are, they, they're like, you're not just going to give it to us. And that's another part of my philosophy. I believe in Paulo Freire. He has um, critical literacy theory. And he wrote a book called Pedagogy of the Oppressed, which everybody mm-hmm. should read. Specifically, chapter two, he talks about the banking model of education versus, um, What's the, what's the opposite of the banking model? I can't think of it right now, but I am totally against the banking model. That's where you just give the kids like a bank, you deposit the learning into them. And that's yeah. what my, my college students seem to be used to, people just giving them what they need. And I'm here like, no, you're going to do your own research. You're going to tell me what you are interested in learning. You're going to create your own research questions. You're going to look for the scholarly sources. Yes, these are the required texts, but you have to find three more scholarly sources that support your thoughts about this text. And that was like a meltdown for them. They're like, we have to do what? So you mean the book isn't the scholarly source? No, that's not the scholarly source. So if I think of the opposite of um, of the banking model, I'll let you know. It's slipping my mind right now. But yeah, yeah totally. That's, all, we can, that's what I'm all about. We can plug that in in the show notes whenever 
um, you do have that resource because that sounds very, very interesting. I've, I mean, I'm learning so much just chatting with you right now about um, just teaching philosophies and how many different, it sounds like there are so many different types of teaching philosophies. Um, and, you know, I know that emotional intelligence and, and teaching emotional intelligence to your students has been a practice of yours that you've incorporated in your classrooms um, throughout. But what are some of the what are some of the the ways in which you break down emotional intelligence to your students? How do you and start that conversation maybe to a student who might have never had anyone talk to them about emotional intelligence? What were some of the primers, I guess you can say? of teaching that into your classrooms? Um, for the most part, when I, when I wanted to teach um, social emotional learning, it came from situations, right? So it was always based on, um, and I hope I'm answering the question because I actually went to, yeah. to Google <laughs> what the opposite was <laughs> and I was like, yeah, listening. But it's the problem solving okay. method. <laughs> I just had to get that out of my head. Um, and so that goes to what um, the question is. Can you repeat the question for me just to make sure? Just so I can yeah. Make sure. Thank you. Yes. No, of course. Of course. I was asking how, what are some of the ways that you've introduced emotional intelligence to your, in your classroom settings? Okay. So I was answering it. So yeah, like yes. I'm, <laughs> I'm really all about, um, you know, authentic learning, authentic experiences and responding to those because those are the ones that they'll remember forever. Um, and what I've learned now is to ask my colleagues what they're doing mm -hmm. and what they recommend. Um, I used to just be on my own. I felt like I was on my own. I was never on my own, but I felt like I was on my own, especially in places where you have teachers with different philosophies and we are not having those conversations about who believes what and where they're coming from. So, you know, from the top down, that was an issue. But today I'm really just taking time to get to know my kids from the beginning. So I have them do surveys from the beginning of the school year. It's who are you? Send me your Instagram, put a picture of yourself in here. Like the whole, the whole Google doc survey is, is really like robust. And they're like, what are we going to use this for? And it's like, it's for me to know who you are before I even start teaching you. Do you like writing? Do you like reading? What do you feel scared of? Are you, or do you have any fears? Where have you traveled to? If you haven't traveled, where do you want to go and why? Those are all things that allow me to really gauge their ability to be in touch with themselves. And then I really like to think a lot around um, social acceptance because, again, that self-awareness is there. I'm beefing up the self-management with a lot of self-regulation tools. But if you are not aware of the folks around you and I'm the only one aware, how is that community going to grow together? And so having them feel like it's a safe space is so important to me. And I use social media for that. I love teaching on social media. I love letting them do their assignments in the comments of a post through one of my, I have a page called Critical Literacy, which is based on Freyer's work. Um, and I just really allow them to go through that. This semester, I did everything on Canvas. Um, and that was fun too, because they got to really see each other in a different light. But the, the final exam next week, we're going to do it on Instagram. So that'll be fun. That is so cool. Oh my God. I wish I wish I had you as my teacher when I was in middle school and high school and college because the way that you are using the modern tools of communication and learning and discovery and incorporating that into your classroom is, I think it just speaks to how you are meeting your students where they're at. And that's so refreshing, um, especially in the States where, you know, it's, I think sometimes students struggle with having educators that see them for them and where they are and, and where they're at in life. So I just think that's so dope that you're able to be so creative about that um, teaching method. So can you share some of the challenges that you've faced, um, whether it's trying to introduce a new theme or a new curriculum to your students and how you were able to overcome that challenge? Um, yeah, I had, so I have had years of really like easy groups and then I've had the most challenging years. And toward the end of my career, I had a really challenging year where 
there were these students, I was actually afraid to get them too. Like I saw them the year before they came to me and I was like, I don't want them. I don't want them. Cause I knew that they were going to push me and they did. They really got me to where I am today. Um, but, and that's a blessing, but that year was really challenging because there were so many big personalities and those personalities were, um, behind trauma behind neurodivergence and I didn't understand a lot of that I was actually overcoming my own stuff so Mm -hmm. I specifically I'll tell a story I had a student who um shout out to her she's graduating this year from high school good for her she's she just got into college she's going next fall I'm happy for her um but that year yeah she she might listen to this so I'm not gonna say her name but they all know when I tell this story who I'm talking (laughs) about so it was so crazy because I don't know if you've ever heard of um what is the name of that business? Donya Taylor. If you haven't had her, please get her on. She's dope. She is like really doing her Sonya, thing. Donya, right? yes. Yo, she's yes, doing her thing. Yes. So I had the opportunity to work with her in the digital footprint. Um, Ray, I think that's his name. And they came to my classroom. We were supposed to start shooting stuff. We were going to make all this content together. And that same day, I was about to quit. Like I told my fiance, he was my boyfriend at the time. He's my husband now. But I was trying to make him my fiance yeah. then, but he wasn't yet. <laughs> he was my man, my man, my man at that time. So I told him, like, bring my suitcases. I'm leaving. I'm never coming back. Like, this is how bad that story was. Um, I, and it was it was interesting because I felt like a victim in the moment. And so long story short, my um, one of my students, she confided in me that she had issues with her mom. And she told me this because I had issues with my mom. And this was right before my mom passed away. So um, we were talking about these things. With It was just like a girl talking me and the girls. And then, but this girl was very, how they say, she used to get too smart. She was one of those girls. And so, and I was used to that. I'm very used to those kinds of girls. So I was that kind of girl. And so I um, was teaching, trying to teach a new thing at that. And she would, she was just insubordinate. She was really insubordinate that day. And then instead of her allowing me to finish teaching, she kind of just kind of took over the class. And got a real bad attitude with me. And I said to her, I'm not your mom. Like, you don't have to treat me like this. She got so mad. Like, I'm like, I never did anything to you. Because to me, I'm looking at it like you have women issues and you're taking it out on me. But she took Mm. that as, I told you that in confidence. Why would you say that in front of the class? And I looked at it like, I'm not even saying anything. First of all, everyone knows, your whole class knows your life. We all know you. So I I really didn't see anything wrong. When I tell you this girl got so mad at me, and it just felt like the whole class was yelling at me. It felt like everybody was mad at me. Maybe it wasn't that way, but it felt that way. And I just melted down. I couldn't even move. Like, I could not move. And so my principal, assistant principal, everybody came in, and they were like, you know, you were wrong. And I'm like, how was I wrong? I didn't see it in that moment, but of course I apologized to the girl because I want the girl to feel, I want the kids to feel better. Even when I don't feel like I did something wrong in that moment, I had to go to therapy. I was already in therapy for four years at the time. And my therapist helped me to actually understand what I was experiencing was I felt like they all were attacking me as if I was back in my childhood where I used, because my grandmother used to abuse me. My sister used to get me in trouble. My stepbrothers used to kind of bully us. It was a lot. You know, I fought everybody in the streets. And so I felt like I was back where I was this little girl being attacked. And she actually told me, Mm. take off the muddy glasses. You have to take off the muddy glass. You have to clean your glasses. You're seeing everyone out of those muddy glasses. And you feel like you are, you know, being attacked when no one is attacking you. And that was the best advice. At this time, I have had so many kids give me that same kind of attitude. And I'm just cool. I, I'm like, that's cute. Like, I don't even take it personally anymore because I understand that it has nothing to do with me and nobody is attacking me. It might feel like an attack because kids have coping mechanisms that are just toxic at times if we keep it real. But at the same time, as the adult, you have to know that that is a child. You have to know that you might be feeling like a child in that moment, but you're not. And that's not the person that hurt you before you got into that moment. So I think if that girl had never got angry with me, like she could have, she could have gotten really quiet and never said a thing after that. And I would have went on talking to kids in the same way, feeling like I did nothing wrong because, you know, educators, we're very totalitarian. We are in charge. 
what we say is what we say goes. You know, not all of us, a lot of us are different, but the old school teacher in me, you know, <laughs> I was very much like that at times. And so I think that really softened me tremendously. And I mean, she and I are really great. You know, we have a really great bond to this day. I went to go see her leave for prom last year. She invited me personally and called me. So, you know, we're good now. She understands her mom was there. Her mom loves me. So, you know, it was a breakthrough for us all. But that was that was one of the biggest challenges in my life. And I actually didn't even get to move forward with Don Yay, which is like the biggest regret, regret for me, because where would my content be today? But that's a whole different story. But I say yeah, that because I mean, at that time, I really was just like, I can't do this right now. Like I it shifted my mind so badly that I couldn't create like I couldn't I, I just couldn't see things anymore until my therapist helped me to really start to understand what muddy glasses were and I was like okay I still don't get it but you know the time that you put into yourself it helps you in the long run so if anyone's listening and and you're getting advice from your therapist or anything like that and you don't get it yet let it take time to sink in because it doesn't always hit as soon as they give it to you so yes wow that is what a powerful example. And I mean, the muddy glasses analogy is such a, it's such a sharp way to explain exactly that feeling of, you know, seeing, seeing everything through this one lens and this one perspective when in reality is like, that's not even what it is. And it takes time. It takes time for that to like really, really seep in. And I know, I mean, if you haven't had your therapist read you for filth, you might be going to the wrong therapist. That's saying if if your therapist has not like made you, you know, kind of take a step back and feel like, damn, am I the problem? You know, it's, it's that conviction. That conviction can be so it can actually lead us to the light in so many ways. And it it sounds like that's what happened with you. Um, And to segue into that, I know. So for those who um, uh, don't know, before we have anyone on the show, we always do like a quick 15-minute intro call just to get acquainted, just to touch base, say hi, introduce ourselves. And when we had our intro call, you had such an amazing, amazing topic that we wanted to share on here about the ground being a pillow. And that stuck with me literally from the moment you said that to right now, I've been thinking about that. And I would love for you to talk about how the ground can be a pillow and what that means and what that, what does that mean as, as far as softness goes and what that means to you in your own words? Um, so I'm going to use your words, actually. You have an episode. I'm trying to look it up now. <laughs> Um, but it's the era. What's the, it's one of your era episodes, and you were like, "Oh, oh here it is, the your era." Yes, yes, that's what it is. Oh my god! And you were like, you know, I'm talking oh, in TikTok man. language. <laughs> but yes. it really is, and I love that episode because it's not. There's oh, nothing negative. You. Like you were super optimistic after every sentence. There's so much optimism in it, and I think that's what I mean by finding the ground as a pillow because. I fell off. I feel like I fell off after that incident. That was like the the domino effect of me just Mm. undoing who I was. And I mean, the more Mm. I saw who I was, the more I did not want to be that woman anymore. And I realize now that um, you're always going to be who you are. You're just going to add on to that foundation of who you were. And so me now understanding that I didn't, I never needed to, tear apart who I was and tear apart the foundation of who I was, but I didn't have any other way. I didn't know any other way. So I say yeah. now to say like, stay low, let the ground be your pillow and, and let that softness of the ground nurture you. And what does that mean? I mean, you, everybody has to kind of define it for themselves. But when I say I fell off, I'm talking about the fact that I lost like 30,000 followers because I don't create the content that I used to. I Mm. don't go outside because I'm literally on academic probation. I was supposed to get my doctorate last spring. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I still have two years left because I'm continuing to go slower and slower and slower. And the slower I go, the more I'm actually learning and attaining and the Mm. the more confident I feel in talking about neurodiversity, neuroscience, executive function, ADHD, all of the topics that two years ago when I was supposed to graduate, 
I was too scared. I was like, I don't even know what ADHD means. Why didn't I, why did I feel like that? Because the, the feedback, the feedback that my professors were giving me was so much. And I was like, I don't even know the answers to these questions they're asking me. So I had to be true to myself. Um, and then when my mom passed, and I really understood that I did not know her and I didn't even give myself a chance to get to know her. That, that really messed me up. I was mean to my grandfather before he passed and he was the best person in my entire life. That messed me mm -hmm. up because it, people don't understand when you want, when you apologize, it's never for the other person. It's for you. And mm. the other person might need it for their ego too. But for the most part, it is for you. And if you don't have those people there to apologize when you realize you were wrong, you go through a cycle of guilt. And boy, when I tell you it was hard, but I had to finally embrace it. I really have embraced. So I, I'm and now I, I don't, I'd rather stay where I am. Like I like being on the ground. I know that I have to fly again. We all have to fly. That's the work we do. But I feel like from the ground, I'm picking up twigs to create a nest so that when I go high again, I'll have somewhere to land somewhere to grow a little bit somewhere to eat like I don't have to come all the way back down to the ground again after this hopefully so I'm taking my time but yeah I, I want everybody who's listening to really just define that for themselves though because falling off could be different for everybody and I mean I don't I don't think that social media is the total definition of me falling off um but I know that that's like the one that people can really see you know but yeah. I have so much content ideas. I'm not worried about it. I can go viral tomorrow if I really want yeah. to. That's not the point. Because what happens Period. if I go viral? What happens if these news outlets start doing all these articles and I don't have that nest in the air? I'm going to fall again, mm. you know? And so, yeah, you have to be you have to be aware again. And that management for me now is I'm still building my management. What? Who am I now that I'm not in a nine to five role? I'm still a professor. I love being a professor. But it's not a nine to five. So I had to learn my management skills to be able to to, ha to have a CEO vibe, to be an executive director. Yeah. My team calls me all the things. So I started my company, but I don't even want a title. So they're saying that I'm all these leadership things. But for me, it's like, who is the leader they see me as versus or I see myself as versus the, what the title says that I have to be. And so, yeah. Yes. Sorry for the tangent. <laughs> no, I love tangents. This this is all about tangents, okay? There is no wrong answer. And I'm just letting you know right now, Professor Valencia, that some people might be getting the ground as a pillow tied on them, okay? Mm. Because that has such a beautiful meaning and such a powerful... It's like you said, you can interpret it in so many ways, whether you know, you're calling it your flop error like me, or you're calling it you know your lowest moment, whatever it is, that means something different to everyone but it hits the same it's like that when you a lot of people also kind of agree that you don't really get to your best part of your life or the the light at the end of the tunnel until you've hit rock bottom and so your rock bottom might look very different than someone else but at some point you realize that this is where you have to nurture yourself and like you said pick up those twigs, pick up those, those tools mm -hmm. and those um, materials that are going to really allow you to have a soft landing. I love, 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 love that so much. Um, yes. I love this so much. I am just, yes, I'm really, really inspired by how you are so honest and so um, honest to a point where it's, probably provides so much clarity for you. And I'm, I know that that has an impact on your students as well. Um, and one thing that we also chatted about prior to our call was talking about intergenerational trauma and how intergenerational trauma can trickle through all aspects of our lives, you know, and I would love to know, you know, from you, how intergenerational trauma has, how you've seen it show up in your students, whether it's their understanding of certain concepts or their learning of certain concepts or acceptance, how has intergenerational trauma or intergenerational experiences, period, whether they're traumatic or not, how has that impacted um, their experience in the classroom specifically? Yeah, so I think dysfunctional impulsivity is a huge one right now that our mm. students are learning from their parents 
and their parents maybe got it from their parents or from their own traumatic experiences. A lot of parents may have experienced PTSD, postpartum, or they have things that they haven't never even gotten labeled for, um, or they don't have it. And they're just genuinely people without executive function. All of these things are impacting our students' ability to self-manage themselves. And it's causing them to procrastinate. So if you if you look across our kids that are procrastinating, they are coming from homes in which, and this is from the studies that I've recently read, they're coming from homes mm-hmm. um, that have parents that have parenting styles that are either um, too autonomous, which means they give them too much freedom um, and they're not strict enough, or some that are way too strict. And so they're rebelling. And so mm-hmm. this, this, is a, this is an intergenerational trauma we don't hear about a lot. Um, And so Mm -hmm. I really want to make sure that I amplify this a lot. And if there are parents listening or educators to understand the role of the the leaders in the home is to model. And even if you tell your kids what to do and you tell them, be on time, don't be late, they're still going to pick up your habits versus what you're telling them to do. And so this is that. And that's really what's hurting our children the most is that they are learning dysfunctional impulsivity without even realizing it. Yeah. Wow. See, I didn't even know that there was a term for that. And that is why language is so important because for some people, they might assume, well, this is just how it is. This is how people are. This is how this neighborhood is. This is how this demographic is. But it's literally, you know, there is language for that and speaks to all of the things you mentioned about this repeated cycle. Um, What I also understand this as, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but so my background is in public health. And um, in my grad school course, I had a class that two classes that changed my life. One was medical anthropology. And the second was the life cycle of violence. And so in the life cycle of violence class, we really talked about how violence comes in all different types of forms, whether it's war, genocide, or whether it's domestic you know, violence at home, but it really speaks to how these patterns, these behavioral patterns, how they ultimately affect our health and the public health of communities and families and generations to come. And it also sounds like with what you're sharing with dysfunctional impulsivity, that's the term, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) just like, I, you know, with that, with that also being incorporated in our classrooms, I think we can see how nothing is isolated. Everything is connected. Um, and I think if we take a closer look at how some of these patterns happen and not, you know, they're not in silos, they're not just because of a result of someone, someone's individual decision, rather this is, these are the results of this, you know, compulsive behavior that doesn't always get interrupted. It doesn't always get resolved or even addressed if if there's no resolution for it, right? Um, I also want to hear more about Grocery Garden and what inspired you to create Grocery Garden, what you're creating. Um, can you tell us more about grocery? Yeah, so um, that this is all a part of my brown soft pillow flop era vibe. <laughs> I I really I, it's so it's, it's I haven't even told the origin story of this so let me try to do it without it being so piecemeal. Um, but mm-hmm. I I've been I, I don't want to say I'm a serial entrepreneur, but I feel like I was speed dating business ideas for a while, starting them a little bit more. So so then you know some I would take to dinner, some I would like court a little bit and now I think I finally am in the space where and again going back to when I talked about how I would break my foundation so I had 501c3s I had my girl programs and um, I I tore them apart and I didn't recognize that's what I was doing until after but in the moment I just was like this is not working this is ineffective I need to do this I have to do it like this and if I could do that all over again I would have actually kept those going had some other people run mm-hmm. them while I started the next venture. But, um, mm. you know, we don't always think to do that because when you are, when you're working from a very limited capital space, when you don't have the funds to think about 
hiring people. You're not, you know, when you don't, everything costs money. So you even have to think about, okay, if I start another LLC, I have to pay the taxes for that too. I have to do, so, you know, that's a business combo we can have on a different panel, but, um, so long story short, grocery, um, I would say came from two things. One, my students and feeling like I needed a space for them. And like a lot of them were like, Miss Clay, I need a job. I need a job. And I got really caught up in this new entrepreneurial age because I'm very close to a shout out to Rashad, Bilal, Troy Millings. Those are my big brothers. And as they were growing Earn Your Leisure, which is like the biggest podcast. I listened to that podcast. Yes, those are my yes, brothers. I love that. They were in my ear like, mm-hmm. you don't need to work there. You need That's to do your thing. crazy. Yeah, so like yes. they messed me up. They had me out here jam- job shaming the world. Like, guys, we all need to quit our jobs. <laughs> slaves. Like, they, I shouldn't say it. Like, they, they don't tell everybody. Yeah. like our personal behind the scenes conversations. And so, and it yeah. wasn't because they wanted me to job shame. It's because they saw in me what I couldn't see in myself. And they saw it for years. Mm. They were telling me this before they started EYL. So let's, I just want to be very clear on that. But yeah. because of them pushing me and my students asking me for jobs, and I'm like, no, you don't need to go get a job. You're talented. You can go do this. But I'm like, I need to teach them how. So I started thinking about those things and trying to put that together. And then I had my husband here who he, when I met him, he was, he was in the streets. Let's put it like that, as, as candidly as I can say it. And I, um, I didn't tell him to stop doing anything he was doing. He did that on his own. But then I was like, well, what is he going to do now? And so just watching him, him and observing him and figuring out what can we do together, is that's how grocery came. So it was a mixture between my man and my babies, and it just came together. And it was many different iterations. If people are following me, they can tell you when it was Vibrate Garden, which it still will be, that's still trademarked to become what it's going to be later. That's going to be after I graduate for mm-hmm. neurodivergent people and things like that. Um, but yeah, it was everything sheds. It was all of these things, but the more I did the, and this goes to one of your episodes, the more you do it, the the iterations become more clear. And this is why even today you posted, like, stop sitting on your idea because then you're going to look and be like, oh, I thought of that. I thought of it, but you didn't do it. So what happens when you do it? And so that's what I did. I just jumped out of the window, quit my job and started doing everything. Um, I had these cards and I got the book. Now I'm at the guide. So it was really just letting myself do it. And it was not easy. It's still not easy. Now it feels easy though. I won't lie. It feels very easy now. I'm not stressed at all, but it's because I will say my husband, really, he just, he gives me the space to, to just do it. And when you talk about falling off again, our ground and my pillow right now has to be soft because we don't have money. I used to be a breadwinner and now, you know, I used to get all, I used to make over 150,000 a year and now I'm back on food stamps. Let me just tell you, I'm on Medicaid. Like my life is not the same. I'm an adjunct professor. They only make $10,000 a semester. That's just enough to pay for my doctorate, which I'm paying for out of pocket. I don't do ads anymore. I used to get $5,000 per ad on Instagram. I don't yeah. do those anymore because I'm only focused on my business and being my own ad. I feel like I'm over promoting, but that's also because I'm not creating the content that I used to make, but I'm figuring it all mm-hmm. out. So that's another reason why I say that's how I define my, um, the ground being my pillow and myself being soft in that and not letting anybody's opinions, anybody like, Oh, she fell off or she's not doing that. Well, whoever thinks like that of me, I feel sorry for them because that's your negative self coming out I don't have that anymore I'm cool because I can see what's coming next and I'm also embracing where I am right now to the fullest and so that's what grocery is all about growing beyond those creative barriers and I feel like I'm living it first on this very low level with our small community it's very intimate community but all of us will be the 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 proof that this is necessary and that it works every time we do an event we we capture evaluations of that event, program evaluations, and they're always telling us five out of five, this helped me because I would recommend it to these people because we're doing it at high schools, we're doing it in colleges, we're, we're in our regular community with entrepreneurs and artists, and it's necessary. And so again, after teaching for all those years and going viral, it was like, that was a vibe, but there's a next vibe that I have to get into. And when you're innovating yes. and you're going by something that no one has ever done before, or maybe they've done it, but not the way you're doing it, you might have to take the ground as your pillow, boo. 
you might not be in the clouds unless you do what I didn't do. And that's make sure your foundation mm-hmm. is steady before you jump. And I didn't do that. I was like, no, I got to change everything. Don't do that if you don't yes. have to do that. <laughs> burn it all down. Yeah, don't burn it. I feel that. To. Because the last some girls, what we were doing before, if I had kept that going, I could I could be eating off of that right now. If I, w- if I was still making mm-hmm. videos in my classroom as a professor, I could be eating off of that right now too. But I'm also a person who right now values one thing at a time. And maybe this is my soft girl era saying this, but one thing at a time is my vibe right now. So, you know, soft life hashtag for that one. I'm not doing too much. So again, if I, and I love my little stamps, I don't want them to ever run out. I hate paying for groceries. (laughs) So, but they will have to go away (laughs) because I am going to be a millionaire. Listen, You know, I can't have both. (laughs) unless I buy from somebody but that's that's not gonna happen right now we're not gonna get us in trouble on the show (laughs) I'm from the streets I'm sorry (laughs) but yeah girl that's where we are I hope Uh, that answered the question I'm gonna listen back like girl you did not answer the question (laughs) no you did did you absolutely did I mean this is so I mean my next question was gonna be what does softness mean to you And right now, like, what does softness mean to you as a Black woman? I know you kind of touched on it. If you want to add anything to that definition, I would love for you to to share what softness means to you in this this moment and how you define your soft life. Yeah, I think total acceptance of all that is for me, like, in a way that is nothing good, is nothing bad. It's just a vibe. Like, the energy is just about like appreciating whatever energy is in front of you. I think for me, it's the ultimate gratitude, like practicing the ultimate gratitude um, for all, all of the things like that have happened to me or that happened for me. um, As Abraham Hicks likes to say, I think that's really my biggest thing is like, I think to be soft for me right now is to just be in total acceptance and to practice being as present as I possibly can. Like I have not daydreamed this entire call. It's been 46 minutes and that's good. (laughs) (laughs) Cause I can daydream while you're talking to me. And so to me to be soft is to just be present and appreciate the present moment. Um, Yeah. That's, that's where I'm at with softness right now, but that might change next week. Cause when it first came out for me, it was getting my nails done again, getting my toes done again. Yeah, I hadn't had my nails done in like a year or two before I started, but I was like, yeah, soft life for me is my nails. That's it. And that's why I followed you one, because I saw you, you had, I don't remember what it was that you were on. It might've been Forbes or something you were featured in. I was like, oh, she's a vibe. And then your actual content is just, oh, it feeds us. Like it's really always spot on. Um, the way you make your reels, the way you make your TikToks, just even your day in the life. I remember when I was first starting to go to the gym and you were, you went to your, um, what is the cl- the bar class? I was like, oh my God, I go to bar class. Yes. Like, I just felt like so clean because no one talks about bar as much as they talk about Pilates and yoga. Yes. So like, yeah. Yes. I love bar. I go to Harlem Pilates mm. and they have a bar class, um, like two, three times a week. I go to, um, there's a yoga studio, two yoga studios. I love the hot yoga and then regular yoga. I'm going to regular yoga on Saturday because I can't do the hot yoga. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I feel hot yoga. hot yoga is different. It sounds cute. It's no joke. It's it no joke. It's vibe. I could do that like, yeah, like once a month, but I can't do that I'm every weekend. They go very hard. I, yeah. I am so honored. I'm so honored. I'm so grateful that we crossed paths. Um, to wrap this up, we have our quick rapid fire questions. There's just five fun, quick questions. Whatever comes to mind, there's no wrong answers. So you ready? Yeah. Okay. So <clears throat> first question, what is your favorite self-care activity to do after a long day of teaching? Running five miles on the elliptical. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's Period. Awesome. Period. Period. Okay. That's my she shit. Said, we it. need to get moving. <laughs> I love that. Um, okay. Second question. What is your favorite book to recommend to your students? Mm. Mm. Oh, this is supposed to be rapid. Okay. Let me just say what came to mind first then. <laughs> the Hate You Give came first. Even though it's a banned book, Ooh. I still think that it, yeah. it's re- it's one that was recently written, so they actually understand it. They can make references to it. They like talking about it. Um, yeah, Angie Thomas did a great job with that one. The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. 
Okay. Next question. If you could travel anywhere in the world right now, where would you go? Where would you teleport to right now? I want to go to Ghana. Take me. Yes, let me take you. (laughs) This is, yes, we got it. We got a separate combo to plan our trip to Ghana, okay? Manifesting and planning officially. Yes. Um, Yes, you would love, love, love Ghana. Ghana is everything. Um, Okay, so for y'all who do not follow Professor Valencia on TikTok, Instagram, you got some moves. I, I mean, you have a mean Harlem shake, okay? (laughs) <laughs> what is your go-to dance move? What's your go-to dance move when you're feeling the music, when you're in your vibe? What's your go-to? I mean, I'm, I'm just mentioned the Harlem Shake, but what is your go-to? The Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I don't know what it is. And Solange does these dances, and I think she took them from me. Like, how, sis? She never seen me do that. Wow. So she couldn't have taken them. But, Yeah. These matrix we gotta we're gonna have to ask yeah, her. Yeah, we gotta ask her how does she know them too? I thought I made them up. We're putting two and two together now. Okay. So we're gonna have to ask Sister yeah. Solange, what's up with that? Um, last question. What is the best piece of advice that you've ever received? Um Poco y Poco, which came from my Spanish teacher in Cuba. Yeah. She was like little by little Valencia. She didn't speak any English. So it was always Poco. And I was like, okay. And that stuck with me forever. Just little by little, one thing at a time, bite-sized goals, no need to rush. Yep. I love that. Thank you so, so, so much. I My heart is full. It's an honor to speak to you. It is a pleasure to get to know you better. Hopefully this will be, you know, just part one of a conversation. I feel like we could probably talk for so much longer, but I want to respect our time. Um, can you tell us where we can find you, where we can connect with you, websites, socials, all the things? Yes. And let me just shout out my aunt Lorraine. Cause the other advice that came to me was this too shall pass. Don't be too anxious for nothing. Those came right after. I just want to just plug those for anybody mm-hmm. that needs to hear them. Um, but yes. I don't know, my spirit just made me want to yes. say those. Shout out to Aunt Lorraine. She's uptown right now, my grandma. But um, yeah, you guys can find me on Instagram, VDCB, um, TikTok, Valencia de la Clay Bell. You can probably just put VDCB. My, these are my initials. You can put them in there. Um, Twitter. I'm really kind of low on all those right now. So if you follow me, you're joining the journey of where we're going. We're not where we're going yet. So I would appreciate it. And I would love you so much if you yes. do, but I'm just being honest where we're going somewhere right now. So we're not at our destination just yet. Um, and I do yes. have a book on Amazon. It's called soundless cries. Don't lead to healing. And it's a critical thinking guide to yes. cultural consciousness. The Grove guide, which is behind me is going to be out soon, but we're shopping it around to see if we can get it. Yes. If not, it'll be independently dropped and I'll let you guys know. I'll send you one personally too, sis. Thank you so much, love. I appreciate that. And we will definitely link all of all of the links to your book, your socials, and your website below so we can stay in touch with you. Thank you again for being on The Soft Life. And I can't wait to talk to you soon and plan our trip to Ghana. Yes. Thank you for having me. I love you so much. I'm sending you so much love. Thank you. Bye. To stay connected, join Sadie Baddies on Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, and more, and sign up for our monthly newsletter on sadiebaddies.com to stay in the loop. Sending you hella love and stay soft, baddie.